Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct well, answers, and together. you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. And yes, you do. You enter the uh, greatest little country in the world, Australian film and uh, other visual mediums that uh, people, uh, artistic people in Australia are using to get messages across. And that's showreel. That's what we do. We look at how people uh, make uh, moving images effectively. And today we're going to have a chat with uh, Tommy uh, Tommy Murphy. Tommy Murphy is a great fellow. He's uh, written the... Uh, screenplay as well as the uh, original play for uh, Holding the Man, which is a a true story, an autobiographical piece that uh, was about two young blokes who uh, met at school and had an undeniably great love affair, which uh, was uh, ended in tragedy in a sense, since they got AIDS and died. But uh, actually there's uh, much more life-affirming elements in Holding the Man than that. It's a historical piece as well as a a love story uh, for everybody. Anyway, we'll talk to uh, Tommy Murphy. This uh, particular film, Holding the Man, uh, was first shown in the Australian context at uh, MIF, Melbourne Film International Film Festival, and it will be coming to our screens later. Uh, in uh, in fact, it's going to start on Thursday the 20th of August at Nova, and I'll tell you more about that later. But first, let's hear what Tommy Murphy has to say. So can you tell me how you got involved with the original... Uh, process of writing the play for Holding the Man? Yeah, well, it all started in the theatre. I was a writer in residence at the Griffin Theatre Company in Sydney, in King's Cross, where Timothy Conagrave, who is the writer of this memoir, had also at one point been, uh, uh, been a writer. And so I was asked by the Griffin Theatre Company to read this book and answer the question, do you think this is a play? And I knew within pages that it was absolutely a play and I really wanted to write it. Mm. And it's it's a very significant part of history, isn't it? A gay history, this. Absolutely. I mean, one of my, I guess, um, perhaps there was a nervousness back at that time about being myself generationally removed from that moment. I didn't um, experience experience the first wave of the epidemic of HIV AIDS personally. And so I think I did question initially what it would be to, uh, why I had the right to uh, try to retell this story. 
But I found that that distance uh, was a great asset creatively because it meant that I was writing with a, a great, uh, you know, a yearning to understand or a, uh, a really um, a curiosity, you know. I'm aware that I'm from a generation that is accused of complacency on this one, but in, in my own response and the responses of people that have s- seen this story in the theatre and now in the cinema, I think that we're looking back at that time as history and there is a, a great desire to understand it more fully. It has quite clearly had a profound effect because I've spoken to other people about uh, Holding the Man and they, uh, a lot of people have said they've seen the play and they've been absolutely, they immediately go into a sort of a a, a, a silence or a, a sense that it really had an effect on them. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, one of the um, things to weigh up when we were developing the screenplay for the film was what its relationship to the play might be. And we found this out through a lot of experimentation, you know, just testing things that uh, had been the approach that belonged for the th- for theatre's answer to this story. And we found, I, I think, that most of them were entirely useless, actually, and that the, you know, the thing we know an adaptation must do is embrace its new form. And so we went back to the book. I say we because a lot of the development was, was Neil Armfield, the director, and myself in the last, well, certainly in the last three years that Neil's been attached to the project, um, and uh, we went back to the book and uh, there were so many moments that never found their entrance on stage that were key to the book that now are the heart of this film. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because film is an absolutely emotional uh, platform, isn't it? It's all about emotion. And it seems to me that, uh, uh, as you say, the adaptation from one form to another is absolutely crucial. That's right. I mean, I think an emotional response is something that you're craving in cinema. Uh, I, I you know, like to boast that I think that's one thing we can achieve with Holding the Man. Um, and that emotional response is about the, the romance. You know, this is very much a love story. And I think the, the film allows you to be swept up in the, the sweet young romance. Um, but it's also, I think, a, a story that brings with it a, a, an outrage um, and uh, and a tragedy. But I think the ultimate sort of culmination of all of that is something about a relish for life. I, I mean that sincerely. I'm not just sort of saying that as a kind of way of trying to market this film. I think that a story about time running out um, is a story about living life to its fullest. Well, because it is a film now... Uh there's clear comparisons. It's easy to say uh, it takes up exactly the same sort of a notion as that incredibly popular love story from the 70s, right? Yeah. Which was just absolutely a killer. What a beautiful film. You know, I didn't even know about that film until I watched it maybe two years ago um, as uh, when, it, you know, when it, someone told me that this is the great kind of weepy, I think was the term they well, used. Well, it is. And, and uh, it's an extraordinary film and, and watching it um, told me, I guess it sort of confirmed some of our approaches. I mean, there is there are some there are some uncanny um, sort of uh, treatments of the story that that um, that, that echo its approach and um, uh, they were unconscious but I can see a crossover and people laugh people you know, older than me sort of laugh that I'd never heard of that film because I'd be I was <laughs> so kind of moved by it that I'd say have you heard about this story love this film called Love Story and yeah. like um yeah 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 <laughs> and that's the thing that's what I was going to say because it's like a gay version of the same thing. Yeah, well, I'm happy with that comparison. Yeah. Um, I think that, which is great. Yeah, I think so. I mean, tonally, it's probably s- slightly different because 
you know, Holding the Man is, um, you know, a, a comedy for stretch. Well, at least our audience is telling us it's a comedy. You know, there's, there's. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure that would be true, but uh, the, oh, the, actually, the, I cried. The, I'll have to say, I did cry. You did cry. Good. <laughs> I hope you laughed at points as well. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I did. I did laugh at points. Yeah. I mean, it's sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, it's supposed That's to be good sweet. To hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, but it is. It is sad. Uh, mm. But um, the, I mean, of course, it's sad. But and but it's there's something else about it. Uh, I mean, the business about the gayness, which is mm. important, mm. Uh, that it's like a reflection of that original uh, love story, which was a mm. heterosexual love yeah. story. But the reason for why I brought it up wasn't just that uh, it's perfectly t- uh, in tune with that. Mm. Is that all the way through? It's quite clear that. Um, uh, Timothy Congrave had a very political understanding mm. of his self as a gay person and the oppression or the world that they, how he had to fit into what was a dominant heterosexual understanding of the world. Very similar to the way, say, women are supposed to fit into a male contrivance of the world. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and Timothy was a, a political animal. It was always in his being. You, you, you read that in the book, in the, the you know, blues that happen around his family dinner table. He's also very much the product of his schooling in that he has a, a, a Jesuit training sort of... Uh, Argumentative. Yeah, yeah, they love an argument, you know. He loves to debate. And it's something that gets Tim into trouble at times because he's so unguarded. It's also the reason why we have this extraordinary memoir, which is so um, un, unfiltered in its uh, depiction of very intimate, private moments in a life. Uh, and that includes Tim's own admission of his failings. I think that's an extraordinary thing in this book, a very uh, generous and brave thing to write. But uh, the poli- Yeah, it's in, in the round, isn't it? Yeah, the politics of Tim is something I hope is alive in this film as well. Um, Tim's ultimate political act... I think, was to write the book because he wanted to alert his readership to what at that time it was like to uh, be living with AIDS. And I think still today to be telling that story is a political act. I think it uh, is also, uh, 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 to my surprise actually, it's a a particularly um, uh, loaded time to be telling a gay story, a gay love story in Australia right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. The timing is, is weird in a way because we didn't predict that, you know, even a year ago when we were making the film. But it's possible that that uh, equality bill is going to be either on the floor of parliament or denied from the floor of parliament uh, the week that this film hits the cinemas. And that's uh, a, a spooky and um, uh, coincidence uh, that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the fact that you've got uh, an extraordinary director. Uh, how did you get do. that happen? Well, uh, Neil had – I was Neil's assistant director at one point uh, oh, right. when I first came out of drama school. So we'd worked together and he'd directed my play, Gwen in Purgatory at Belvoir. So we'd worked together, knew each other. And uh, when it came to Kylie Dufresne, the producer and I, to um, appoint that director, uh, there's an obvious choice in Neil because of his um, uh, connection to the era. That's probably the least reason you'd, you'd uh, choose Neil, but that's one benefit. Um, I also... Was, well, it is a benefit. Actually. It is a benefit. It's also... We knew that, that he'd be directing a film with that truthfulness. I also knew that tonally that Neil would be a, would, would um, uh, deliver that... that that mix that is sort of surprising, I guess, in the film, the, the lightness of touch, the humour, um, but also the, 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 you know, the humanity of this story. Um, 
And, uh, you know, yes, we're very lucky to have this ex- extraordinary uh, leading uh, director in charge of our uh, project, no doubt. You know, Neil, who works across opera, theatre and film, uh, we're very lucky to have him. Which is probably uh, um, perfect too because the film sc- uh, the score is mm. is a nice touch, I'll have to say. It's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, I think also it's a very surprising choice at times. That, yeah, that's right, because yeah. I noticed it. Yeah. Neil was great with things like that because it's also with the design of the film. Like he, um, you know, I remember him saying that we're not, we're going to achieve this era but not via just its icons. And so he's created a Which was a, a relief, I'll have to say. I think so. Joe Ford, our, our designer, and, and, and also Alice Babbage in costumes, I think uh, they've achieved something that is as detailed and truthful as the detailed world that Tim depicts in his book. Um, and that goes for the music as well. There are some really unusual, surprising choices there. Um, and uh, it, it matches a book that reads like a soundtrack. You know, Tim, Tim on page by page, it will tell you the songs that chime with the moment that he was experiencing. Yeah, which is lovely. I mean, it really is. I, I, I would, that really uh, did resonate with me. The really good choices, and I really like the fact that you didn't sort of push it into your face that uh, mm-hmm. that this was this particular time. I mean, the haircut choices was really interesting. It was, <laughs> it was the way it was just as as it was. Yeah. And I was also really taken by the uh, the similitude. I almost want to say the truth of yeah. uh, wearing uh, the Xavier uniforms and stuff. I, I mean, I know that place. And I thought, yeah. oh, goodness, you, you were allowed to shoot in the right place. One of the things that we always wanted to achieve with this film or the thing that the film had to do was deliver the landscape of this story and the environments of this story. And, you know, Tim Conagrave writes with such accuracy about that, that stuff. We were very lucky to have access to um, not only Melbourne as a city, so to actually, you know, we shot it here and uh, so we're, you know, creating the, 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 the Melbourne that Tim knew of his childhood, but also places like Xavier College um, where the boys went to school. There's no faking that the grandeur of that no, extraordinary right. building. Um, and, you know, that, that, and the generosity, I guess. Absolute generosity and also a pride in this story. Um, and I, I, I know why that's true of that school, that they, they, they do have pride for this story because – you know, even in the 1970s, they come off very well, actually, in this story. I thought I mean, so, too. They're, they're largely, largely the voices, particularly of the Jesuit priests, are, are extraordinarily um, uh, progressive. And um, so uh, they they gave us access to the school on the proviso that we got permission from both uh, Tim and John's family, uh, and they generously uh, gave us that. <laughs> Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. And you're with Annie on Showreel. We're talking to Tommy Murphy, who's the writer of the uh, screenplay and the original uh, play that was written from uh, Timothy Congrave's original uh, bi- uh, autobiography, uh, Holding the Man. Holding the Man was uh, uh, screened at uh, MIF and it's going to also be uh, screened at uh, Nova 
with a special uh, actor, Ryan Core and, and Craig Stott, live at Nova for a question and answer on Thursday the 20th of August at 6.40pm. If you're interested in that, you should go and buy your tickets online, www.cinemanova.com.au or at the box office. That's Thursday the 20th of August, 6 40 p.m. to see Holding the Man with the main actors there to answer your questions. It's uh, Neil Armfield that uh, is being discussed uh, as the director, the famous director who has taken on board Holding the Man that uh, Tommy is talking about. We'll go on and listen to the final part of my chat with Tommy Murphy about Holding the Man. And I really love the fact that the father who uh, found it so confronting actually says to his son, I love you. Yeah. You know, it's such a nice thing, you know. Well, it's key because the actions of all of the parents in this story are anchored in love. Mm. And there's great conflict in love, of course, um, at times. And sometimes their actions, I think, are also clouded by grief as well. Um, and we know that there is immense conflict in grief. I was very impressed at the acting proficiency of the two leads and they were on screen, especially Timothy for the uh, uh, Ryan Kaur, who plays Timothy, on screen almost in the entire time. I mean, the extraordinary talent that Ryan Kaur and Craig Stott bring to this project is something that, well, to be honest, it made me rest easy uh, uh, very early on. Um, they, they were found for these roles after looking at close to 400 people. And there's extraordinary acting talent out there, and that decision was by no means easy. The first screen test that Neil Armfield showed me, though, was Ryan Kors, and he said he thought he'd found his Tim. They went on to look at many, many people and uh, came back to that initial impulse. And Ryan, who has uh, grown up uh, acting uh in uh, television. He started yeah. at 10 years old. Yeah, and that really shows because he's extremely accommodating. Stamina. Yeah, he does have a stamina for the role and extremely accommodating and aware that this giant machine is sort of moving around him during production. Um, and both of these guys are so wise for being 25, and I think that shows. Um, I, I think Craig Stott, you know, I've got so much praise for him in the character of John. I know, that, that shot of him in the hospital on side. I knew shot. you were going to mention that oh, shot. So this is the one where he gives that little wink. Is that the one you mean? Yeah. I mean, it, that, that little wink that is amazing. carries so much story. In mm. fact, there was a very dialogue-heavy scene before it which was able to be cut from the film because all of it is contained in, in that wink. He's such a skillful actor. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, all of the love and loyalty and, and pain and conflict in the play and in the book has been carried across many, many words, is contained in the smallest movement of his eye. Um, it's one of my favourite moments in the film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a killer moment. Mm. It's, it's quite extraordinary. The other thing that praise has to be given to the uh, calibre of the supporting actors and also the generosity, because a lot of those people are extremely famous. Yeah. <laughs> look, I'll have to say. Absolutely. I mean, and you see the... Um, the, the, the skill and, and, and practice at play. And it's, a, it's a, a wonderful thing for me personally as a screenwriter to, to watch 
what somebody like Kerry Fox does uh, physically, what they, again, about how much story they manage to convey uh, so effortless, effortlessly. Um, and uh, Anthony LaPaglia, Guy Pearce, um, and Jeffrey Rush in a, in a, in a fun, fun cameo in the film as and well. And even Sarah Snook. And Sarah, yeah, it's a terrific actor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, we're so blessed with the, the cast in this film. And did, did that happen because of uh, Neil? Uh, um, I think entirely because of Neil. I think people yeah. sign up to a film because they want to work with that director. Yeah, right. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's why we've got this uh, incredible cast. Yeah, but it wasn't around the story itself. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure that 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 that, that contributed to their decision as well. Um, um, uh, I, I uh, would, would hope that that. That is true as well, absolutely, that they felt a, a connection, particularly um, those actors that probably are generationally close to yeah, Tim right. and John. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, what I, I love about their performances is how prominent the parental roles are across the story um, uh, because, you know, they have less screen time, obviously, than Tim and John, but they are a, a, a really clear spine to this story and I think will be a point of entry for, for many people in the audience. And uh, even personally, I find that, um, as we said before, that uh, conflict around the, the love and grief of these parents um, uh, particularly moving. How long did it take you to uh, get the funds for this project? Well, the play helped because the play um, enjoyed, um, well, still enjoys an ongoing life. There was a production of the play of Holding the Man in Los Angeles last year, um, and there's plans for, for more. So the, 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 the play helped. Um, I, uh, as I was, guess, discarding scenes from the play that that didn't want to, that, that you know, weren't the sort of aspects of the book that theatre makes good use of. I knew early on that they felt like in those discarded scenes, there's definitely cinema and there's definitely a film in this. And um, via the, the, the play, I guess I'd gained the trust of Anna, Tim's sister, um, and she gave me the rights, the, the screen rights. And not long after that, a man named Cameron Huang, who is now our uh, executive producer, approached me. Cameron works in construction and he uh, believed in this story and believed that it should be a film. Uh, I agreed with him, I, you know, and we partnered up. And um, uh, a little while after that, Kylie Dufresne, who had produced The Sapphires, sought us out, um, which was a great thing. I mean, we were knocking on some doors, but for Kylie to actually come to us and, and know exactly why uh, this could be a film was, um, you know, you can't ask for more. Um, so, uh, and then once, uh, Kylie Dufresne at Goalpost Pictures was attached, things really got underway and, um, we had the support of Screen Australia and, uh, and obviously, uh, down here at Film Vic, because, uh, that's where we, uh, we, uh, shot the film. Um, and, uh, so when all those supporters came on board and when, when we had, uh, Neil on board as well, uh, things got serious and... And I noticed at the end of the film, there's a whole range of people who are thanked. They are. I mean, there are other people that, um, uh came to our uh, aid to invest in the film um, after it was shot because uh, they wanted to ensure that we had that cracking soundtrack that you enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Did you... Uh, yeah, it's I expensive. Mean, did, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. it would have been expensive. Well, absolutely. It's expensive and so necessary. Yeah, and so necessary. So you, you're opening at, the, at MIF... That's Melbourne right. Film International Film Festival. It's going to be a moment. It feels like bringing the story home. I'm so aware that this is a Melbourne story. This is, uh, this, you know, not only where we made the film, but the place where the story um, that inspired it played out. 
Um, so it's quite a, a moment for us to be uh, opening at MIF on the weekend. Mm. And uh, where does it go from here? Uh, well, we open nationally on August 27th, and there'll be other screenings around the country in preparation for that. And, uh, yeah, well, then we've got to take this film to the world, so there'll be news on that soon. So are you going to festivals? Yeah, we're we, uh, about to... Uh, I'm not allowed to say yet, but uh, oh, there's sorry. a plan afoot uh, to take Holding the Man to the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I very much enjoyed it, I'll have to say, and uh, I think it, I'd be very interested in seeing how uh, it uh, progresses in commercially, you know, uh, taking this story. And as I said, it, it really is like a, a gay version of the heterosexual love story. So it's really coming of age. People, the realisation that uh, everybody lives their own life and their own romantic Yeah, life. we're in it. It's an extraordinary moment, isn't it? Because we can tell a gay love story that happens to also be a love story for everyone. That's right. It's um, a love story for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what people should be aware of. It's, it's, not, it's not a film that just is pushing a particular line. It's actually a a love story on its own, in its own right. I love that description. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is the film director, Gillian Armstrong. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. And that's it for Showreel this week. As I said, Holding the Man, Thursday, 20th of August, 6.40pm. You can go and see it at uh, the Nova. There will be a season at the Nova, but that particular uh, screening will have the actors Ryan Core and Craig Stott live at Nova for question and answers. Tickets are on sale now from www.cinemanova.com.au or you can get them at the box office. Now, uh, before I go, I want to give you the heads up. There's a community assembly or an action at the Woolworths Distribution Centre in Laverton. This uh, strike or whatever, uh, lockout or whatever it is, it, uh, action has been going on for a number of days and they'd love it if people would go along and help them out by swelling their numbers. The address is 58 Leaks Road, Laverton, L-E-A-K-E-S Road, 58 Leaks Road, Laverton. You can be part of the uh, re-establishing of of Australia's uh, proper and honest work relations arrangements that are under attack at this present moment because of the uh, present government's uh, ideological framework, in fact. Now, um, also coming up at the Nova is Death in Brunswick. Uh, Sunday, August the 23rd at 6.45pm is going to be an anniversary screening of the iconic Melbourne-made black comedy death in Brunswick. If you haven't seen it, you've really missed out. So this is a perfect time to go and see it. It's going to have a Q&A including John Ruane, John Clark and uh, Zoe Caritas, two actors who um, are part of that. Now to go out, we're going to uh, play Warrior in Woolworths in honour of those people who are standing at the gate at the Woolworths Distribution Centre in Laverton. Go down there, 58 Leaks Road, Lavington. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.